This is a Diet of Brussels. Over the past, uh, whatever it is now, uh, 13 months, good grief, uh, you've had a lot from me. Uh, you've had occasionally from other people who we've uh, arranged interviews with. But what I want to, to do in this episode is just give you a bit more from some uh, other academic voices, people who are involved in the same kind of work that I've been involved in, who uh, I think it's, it's useful to kind of get their take on things. Um, and uh, this uh, is a collection of three short interviews with uh, colleagues which were recorded at the UK and a Changing Europe's annual conference, which was held in London on the uh, 10th of June um, at the QE2 Centre. Um, you're going to hear firstly from Richard Whitman, who's one of the fellows on the programme. He's based at uh, the University of Kent. Then you're going to hear in a slightly noisy room, uh, Helen Drake, who is a uh, professor uh, of European politics at uh, Loughborough University. And uh, then you will hear finally from Professor Simon Hicks, who is based at London School of Economics. Now, all three of them are experts. Uh, people, they are also people who've done a lot of uh, work uh, around the referendum. And as you'll hear, I've asked the, the same kind of questions, just trying to get the, the key ideas from them that they've taken from this campaign, asking them for the pieces of advice that they would give to you. So I hope you find it useful. Um, and uh, there are more recordings uh, from this conference, uh, which will be coming up uh, on uh, the timeline very soon. But first of all, here's Richard Whitman from Kent University. Richard, um, we're almost at the end of this uh, referendum campaign. Um, do you think it's been a, a good campaign in terms of helping people understand the issues, uh, get to grips with uh, what's involved and in, in making an informed decision? I think we're unlikely to see a period in which we have such an, an intense focus on, on Europe and the EU again. So I suppose in one sense it's performed a kind of public information function, but I'm not sure about the quality uh, of the information because... One of the characteristics, I think, of the media coverage in particular is it's, it's focused on personalities, which is understandable, but it's also tended to focus on core messages rather than necessarily being interrogating. And I think that's one of the reasons why you do get this refrain that people want more facts, and I think that's because the we're basically in a, in a classic political campaigning mode rather than a kind of information-giving mode. So I think even with two weeks to go, I think there is still an important role and function for those who are doing the kind of impartial information-giving and myth-busting, fact-checking, that kind of thing. Well, that's good for people like you and me. Um, uh, if there was one thing that you wanted people to know about when making a decision what would it be I mean, you know have you got a, a, a way into all of this or a, a core idea that, that you you found has been useful for people well i think the question that i've tended to ask people is you know in, in what ways do you think the european union impinges on your life you know so think about yourself you know in the workplace think about yourself as a parent you know think about perhaps some of the activities or interests that you have does the european union impinge on those do they impinge in a positive or a negative way as far as you know and if you're not sure then why not go and do a bit of digging around and find out whether there is an impact but i think essentially you know what people have got to do is they've got to make a calculation for themselves in terms of where they see 
see the costs and benefits. If they see the costs outweigh the benefits, then obviously it helps them in terms of uh, voting to remain. If they see the you know the costs uh, costs much higher, then maybe they're much more tempted to to vote for Leave. But I think, in a way, what you want to do is take the kind of uh, on the shelf, on the rack information that's out there, and try and make it a bit more bespoke for you. You know, try and spend a bit more time. Uh, moving around uh, the internet in particular because I don't think there's a shortage of information but I think there's uh, a sort of lack of information which is tailored for individuals because all of us of course are going to make quite different decisions about the way that we vote. Uh, in terms of uh, things that have surprised you I, I, and have you heard any arguments or ideas that you hadn't maybe thought about so much but which you know you think are, are interesting or, or novels I think perhaps the, the surprising things have been where there are uh, issues or even figures, for example, the UK EU budget contribution figure, where you know, it, it is possible to present a headline figure, which is a dubious one, uh, and yet that continues to be uh, restated. So I think, that's a bit, I think that's a bit bizarre. I mean, I've also noticed in my area, because I've been very interested in the sort of foreign policy coverage and so on, generally there has been uh, a sort of replacement uh, of rhetoric for facts. Uh, and even when there are facts, they have tended to be presented in a way which I think uh, bears a, a slightly uncomfortable relationship to the truth. Uh, and to give an example, I mean, there was a leading, uh, leading Leave campaigner last week who tweeted uh, that the OECD... Uh, is 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 basically paid for by the EU, and you know even the most cursory look at how the OECD is is uh, paid for shows you that you know the largest paymaster is the United States because it's the member states which are contributors. So, I mean that's the surprise for me that normally in general elections, for example, you would find that the facts are very carefully prepared and checked so they can't be questioned on the grounds of veracity whereas what we've had here I think we've had a lot of facts which have a, a sort of difficult relationship to veracity and yet they get keep getting represented and there is this kind of lack of embarrassment in a way uh, of sort of sexing up or twisting some facts that are clearly untruths or lies and yet they persist and that to me is perhaps the biggest surprise of the campaign. Our second uh, interviewee is uh, Helen Drake uh, from Loughborough University. Now, it's, uh, it's a bit noisy on this one, but uh, useful things uh, to listen to. This campaign is almost at an end. What do you think we've learned? Do you think people have learned about how the EU works? Are they able to make an informed decision, or has it just been a lot of shouting at each other? I think there's been a bit of both. I think that there has been a lot of information available and it has been, I, f I found it interesting and yeah, uh, it's the first time I suppose in my adult life that I've seen so much information swirling around and being published and being discussed on Europe or the EU. But on the other hand, I'm not entirely sure who's listening. So it's possible and my concern is that the shouting and the slanging matches and the reductionism and the simplicity and so on and so forth are the things that have got will have reached a bigger number of people through the TV and, and so on and, and through media headlines, newspaper headlines whereas the more serious information 
uh, I, I, I'm just concerned that that's really been circulating almost amongst ourselves, amongst a, a circle of people who are self-selectively interested. And that's my, that's my concern, that there's still a, a level of... Uh, if I say ignorance, that's not a, a judgment, but a level of lack of knowledge. I, if, you, if you were going to give one useful idea or one piece of information that you think would help people have a more uh, informed or, or considered uh, position, uh, position on this referendum, what would it be? I'm not sure it's a fact. I just would urge people to realise that this is very, very serious. And I'm not fear-mongering or, sorry, scare-mongering or indulging in fear, but for each of us, and we see that ballot paper, it looks so simple. It looks like a really simple thing to do, and if you're having a bad day, the temptation might be to almost take it out and and, and referenda in studies and so on show that they tend to attract votes that are nothing to do with the subject at hand. So my, my advice would be to take it deadly seriously and to vote in all good consciousness and to try and find out things about the things that you're concerned about. It's not too late to look up the facts and to look up information or to ring an expert in your area or to get someone in to visit the care home or the school. It's not too late. Just don't vote on something that has nothing to do with the referendum because you might really live to regret it. And um, that, yeah, that, that's, not, that's not me being scary. That's, that's just about taking it seriously. Um, has anything surprised you in this? campaign anything you know that's leapt out that you, you know hadn't thought would be an issue or you know is an idea that maybe has cast light in a way that was unexpected no <laughs> I've been really shocked at what I think is um, sort of the irresponsibility of some politicians in terms of the way they portray their convictions whereas evidence shows that those convictions are very shallow and very recently held. And I'm not naming names, you can work it out for yourself. So that's, that's been quite a... I should not, I'm not surprised, but I'm disappointed with that. What else? Um, yeah, I, I suppose it has been interesting to look at the, the matters of the, the budget and how much Britain pays in and, and, what, it, and what it sort of benefits from and so on. I think it's been quite helpful to have that out in the open. Not that it's actually stopped lies from circulating on that very subject. But yeah, that, that's been useful. Towards the end of uh, the conference, I uh, caught up with Simon Hicks from the LSE uh, and uh, we found a, a slightly less noisy uh, corridor uh, to talk about uh, the same questions. The campaign so far, uh, the referendum so far, has it been enlightening to anyone who didn't know about the E before? Is it, is it going to lead to a good kind of meaningful outcome? I, th I think it, you know, I was in favour of the referendum because I thought it might be an opportunity finally for Britain to have a proper debate about Europe and our relationship with Europe um, because uh, we have very low levels of information about the EU. Uh, for many years, we've just thought about it. It's just about economics. It's just about a free trade relationship. And clearly the EU is far more than that. 
many other member states understand the EU far more and evidence from Denmark and Ireland and places like that suggests that when they've had referendums there's been um, a sort of jump in levels of public understanding of the EU. So in that sense I do actually think that this will lead to a positive outcome in that there will be a much wider group of people who at least have some sense about what the EU is about, um, what the single market is about, how much trade we have with the EU, about the issues pro and against of immigration. Um, the Europe, they've heard about the European Parliament now, and they maybe know a little bit about what MEPs do. They know how that sometimes we get outvoted in the council, but often we're on the winning side. You know, these are things they probably didn't know a few weeks or months ago. Um, in that sense, I think it's healthy. But on the other hand, it has been unbelievably narrow. The debate has been incredibly narrow and narrowed down to really two issues, with the Remain saying it's purely economic risk, economic, economic risk, and the Leave side saying it's about us controlling immigration. And so if you care about economics, you're going to vote Remain. If you care about immigration, you're going to vote Leave. So it's narrowed it down to an incredibly narrow debate about some very, very short-term issues that are all about what's going to happen in the next two or three years rather than what's going to happen in 10, 20 or 30 years. And that I find really frustrating. If uh, you had one piece of advice for somebody who, who still wasn't sure... Wasn't, didn't know how to kind of navigate their way through things. You know, what would be the, the idea or, or piece of information that you'd want to give them? I think I'd want them to think about how they feel about Britain in a very changing, globalising world. Do they want Britain to be fully independent in terms of making its own decisions and free to make its own decisions, but really being subject to the kind of global forces that might influence us or are they or are they willing to kind of pool our sovereignty with a bigger european project and then europe as a whole has a much bigger influence so you know that's a clear choice there do, do you trust the idea that we could be part of europe and be a leading part in europe or in the coming years or do you or would you prefer us to be independent but far more kind of a ship in the sea of globalization adrift you know so I can see arguments either way, and I think that's a kind of gut feeling people should make a decision about. One of the things I'm asking various people is, is there anything that's really surprised you from this debate? Anything that either, you know, cast a, a, pers- give a perspective that you hadn't seen before or that you know, hadn't realised would become an issue, but which has become an issue? Um, I guess what has surprised me is how timid Labour have been. Um, and, and really how it's taken politicians like Nicola Sturgeon to actually make a sort of pos- positive case for Europe to say that, you know, Europe has actually created peace, security, freedom, choices, equality, workers' rights, social rights. I thought that more left-wing case for Europe would be made far more vocally, but it hasn't. It's been very much a kind of uh, conservative you know, a kind of right-wing case for leaving and a right-wing case for staying. And, uh, and we've not really heard a left-wing case on either side, with a few Labour politicians now coming out very much on the Leave side, but very little from Labour on the Remain side. And, and, and that really surprised me. And I guess we've learnt why. We've learnt that really Labour leadership and Labour politicians themselves are very much split from their voters, who on the doorstep just want to talk about immigration, immigration, immigration. And Labour politicians do not want to talk about immigration. And so that, therefore, they're not out there campaigning at all. Thank you very much.